Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with doctors, developers, and decision makers that are playing in the Australian health tech scene today. With me today is Julian de Salaberry. He's the founder and CEO of Gallon Growth Asia, whose mission is to build a sustainable and vibrant health tech ecosystem across Asia by scaling digital health innovation through industry partnerships. He's over 15 years experience in healthcare with leading brands including Ellie Lilly, Boston Scientific, Baxter, GSK, Merck Co. And he's a deep understanding of healthcare in both developed and emerging markets. In 2012, he founded the The Propel Group, TPG, a a boutique venture investor firm based in Singapore, which focuses on health tech startups and growth companies. Since 2012, TPG has invested in 23 companies, including four successful exits. He's well-versed on everything health tech, so he's pretty good company to have on this podcast, and he joins me now from Singapore. Julian, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity of uh, joining you and uh, sharing uh, some of our learnings, insights, and opinions with uh, with your audience. Love it. Um, before we get started, I'm always curious, because th- those that are based in Singapore are rarely, uh, are often expatriates, and, and that's what makes Singapore so great. Where, where are you originally from, and what brings you to Singapore? So I'm a, a Brit originally, so born in, uh, in the UK, born in London. Uh, I left uh, the UK uh, in 2002 to go back, migrate to Sydney, uh, where I spent four lovely years um, before then moving on to Japan, where I spent three years living in Tokyo uh, before moving to Singapore, uh, where I have been based for the last um, 11 and a half, almost 12 years. Um, and nowadays I shuttle between Singapore and Switzerland where we have our European offices as well. That passport sounds like it's going it's getting a workout. So that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's yeah, well, we'll see what happens after Brexit, but yes. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. All these, all these things that I don't immediately <laughs> think of. Um, Could get complex. <laughs> to say the least. Hey, mm-hmm. um, Give us give us a bit of a, a spiel from 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 the start. Set the scene. Gallon Growth Asia. What does that do? So yeah, let me go back a bit then. So my career uh, is uh, about twenty years in healthcare, where I've had the pleasure of working with big pharmacos, as you mentioned in your intro, uh, some medical device companies. I've advised to those companies as well as bank first companies. So. I've really been very much focused on you know, growth strategies in terms of both design and execution. Um, and of those 20 years, about a third spent in Europe in mature markets and about two thirds spent in Asia Pac in, as you can imagine, a mixture of mature as well as developing markets. Mm. Um, my last stint, I guess, in industry was with Merck & Co, the American Merck. Um, and I was based in Singapore. Uh, focusing on their inorganic growth strategies, so all that was M&A and joint ventures and um, um, what was, I guess, called business model innovation. In other words, finding new ways to uh, um, flex the existing business model for greater relevance with uh, healthcare professionals as well as patients in market, particularly as you try to address what's commonly known now as the three A's, you know, the awareness, your access and affordability challenges that exist across Asia. Um, and which is very much where it opened my eyes to the fact that technology um, was going to really be a fundamental catalyst or transformer of healthcare across the world. Um, and so context for you there is that we're looking at uh, 2012, roughly 11, 12. So technology was not then what it is now, but we could start seeing certain applications that are coming through, particularly mm-hmm. in the US. 
Um, so um, then I only really forced me to ask myself a hard question, which was, you know, could I do what was really lighting my fire and my passion um, of democratizing healthcare through technology uh, within a large pharma company, or would I need to make a, a fundamental change to my career? Um, I took the decision of actually departing Big Pharma and actually launched um, the Propel Group, as you mentioned earlier on, uh, as that early stage investment platform in digital health, uh, and have been investing uh, both in the US as well as Asia Pacific in digital health. Uh, since uh, since um, 2012, roughly speaking. Mm -hmm. um, and during the course of that journey, um, became increasingly aware of the fact that the really the way to bring the, the potential, the promise of digital health um, to reality so that, you know, uh, healthcare professionals as well as patients would start seeing the benefit um, and therefore ultimately, you know, better health outcomes in Asia Pacific. Um, we needed to see much more uh, collaboration, co-creation between two, or sorry, three, in fact, um, key stakeholder groups. Uh, that being, of course, the entrepreneurs, innovators themselves, um, the investors, and the corporations. Mm -hmm. um, we saw a little bit of that going on in the U.S. with organizations like Startup Health or Rock Health, for those of your audience who are familiar with the ecosystem over there. And so rather than, I guess, bemoaning the lack of one, uh, I decided to, to set one up, so I built Gale and Growth Asia, uh, and we launched in early 2016, um, and have, over the past four years, almost four years, um, established ourselves really as the go-to, um, the, the market re leader really, in, in um, bringing together those three stakeholder groups and getting to work uh, better together in order to scale and validate exciting innovation that uh, that is bubbling out of Asia Pacific. Wow. So I can think of uh, no better person to ask this question. Um, if I was to, because I could tell you, if you asked me, you know, about what's happening in health tech in Australia, I could, I could tell you for, for a long period of time. But if you asked me what's mm -hmm. happening in APAC or up in Asia Pacific, mm -hmm. I, I would only have to hazard a guess. So you mm -hmm. tell me, what are some of the key trends in Asia Pacific when it comes to, to health tech today? Ah, well, it's uh, fascinating to be, able to, to be able to answer that question with, with some detail for you. So one of the things that we do at Gale and Growth Asia and have done since the very beginning is we've uh, focused on mapping the ecosystem itself. So when we talk about Asia Pacific, we talk about furthest western point Pakistan, further eastern point to some extent, let's say China, and then north uh, Japan down to New Zealand. I know it's a bit of a wonky <laughs> set of cardinal points for you, but it gives you a flavor of of how broad we're looking at. Yeah, that's, that's broad. Um, uh, yeah, so 23, 24 markets in three stratas. So you can imagine the mature markets, Australia's New Zealand, Japan as well, the development banking markets, which are of course India, China, Indonesia, and of course the new frontier markets, which are more than Myanmar, Laos, and Cambodia. Mm. And each one of those stratas has very different maturities in terms of the healthcare systems. And therefore each one of them is looking at digital health in a very different way in terms of what it means for them as an ecosystem and them as, uh, as, uh, as citizens, I guess, of, of those countries. Um, now, um, one of the things that we do do when we map this ecosystem is not only understand who's who in the zoo in relation to startup innovation in each market, but also, of course, we spend time understanding their business models, uh, right down to their core building blocks, including um, you know, some of the activities they have in the market, etc. And we can come back to that, but 
to answer your point in relation, how should we see Asia Pacific um, as a digital health ecosystem? Mm. I can happily and excitedly uh, report that um, it is, as at our last set of calculations at Game Growth Asia, an ecosystem worth almost 80 billion US dollars, which uh, in 2018 um, secured a record break in 6.4 billion US dollars of funding. Now, to give you some context for that, the US in the same period closed at 8.2 billion. So there's not much delta between the US and Asia Pacific. Yeah. And to give you an idea of that versus Europe, Europe, I think, just about struggled to get over the 2 billion mark. So Asia Pacific's digital health ecosystem is the second largest in the world. It has some four and a half thousand startups. And I'm talking about live startups here. And the number grows regularly, of course. Mm. And we do our best to keep ourselves completely up to date on, on the new guys coming on board. Um, but it's a very vibrant space. And it is a very sophisticated space. And we can come back to that as well. But, you know, we, we've gone very much from what was at the beginning of this journey, for me anyway, uh, a large amount of e-commerce is a bit of a health flavor to it, the, the sort of concierge services that, that we're familiar with, to nowadays really some sophistication in terms of uh, you know, drug discovery, clinical trial, digital therapeutics, um, and, and each country has its own champions. There must be some some pretty exciting technology coming out of out of Asia then. Um, what, what are some off the top of your mind that, that are solving some of the big health problems that you've got there? So the reason I use of finding technology, uh, we at Gaming Growth Asia always shy away from talking about specific technologies in terms of, say, AI or blockchain, etc., largely because we don't believe those are solving any problems at all. They're mm. just an enabler of a business model that is trying to solve something. Yeah. Um, but um, but if you look at it from a perspective of the the business model, let's say, mm. um, and some of the some of the um, solutions that are being developed by um, digital health entrepreneurs, mm. um, we're seeing some really exciting um, business models and, and therefore, uh, you know, patient solutions or, or healthcare professional type solutions, uh, you know, ranging from, uh, you know, platforms in, in China, for example, that are doing retina uh, scanning for cardiovascular uh, disease identification, something that Google's been very noisy about in, 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 uh, in Europe and in the US with, mm. with a certain amount of data, but insufficient data to really actually prove uh, any more than it's a correlation. Um, but if you dig into China, because of the demographics are such that they have vastly higher numbers and, and, and different set of rules as well, to be honest, in terms of how they capture data and manage data, um, you've got similar startups to, to that doing retinal scan for either diabetes or for cardiovascular disease monitoring, um, sitting on substantial patient data. And therefore, you know, one of the things that uh, we keep tinny hearing is that the only way to really develop a sensible AI or machine learning uh, type um, algorithm is by passing data through it. Uh, so you can imagine that um, some of the ventures in China I'm talking about, for example, are developing some very astute machine learning type algorithms, largely because they have that data throughput uh, through. So that's kind of one example. Other examples in China and in India, sorry, we're seeing some really interesting. Um, what I would call digital therapeutics 1.0, and what I mean by that is they're very much patient solutions in terms of drug companion, but they are there to influence um, patients that are suffering from diabetes and actually diabetes type 2 in the, with a view to trying to reduce or potentially try and reverse symptoms 
uh, based on better management of disease and lifestyle and diet, for example. Um, and so, you know, that's that's in itself great simply because we're, we're moving into a space where there is traction at a patient level and there's a better understanding from physicians in terms of the usage of it. So one thing to remember about Asia Pacific and the reason why I think we're seeing that sort of traction, that sort of stickiness uh, of these solutions that I described uh, is that the patient, certainly in developing markets and in new frontier markets, um, are either paying for their own healthcare or certainly co-paying for their own healthcare, which is a very different dynamism, dynamics to uh, you know, Australia, for example, where you have a, a universal healthcare mechanism. Um, and so as a result, these patients are seeking answers online. Um, in fact, you know, Asia Pacific is what, it's half the world's population, some three and a half billion people. Um, if you then dig into that and you look at the online uh, consumer numbers, uh, the last estimates I saw were somewhere around the two billion wow. um, you know, individuals are online purchasing. Um, you know, and it's a fast growing numbers. Of course, the, the penetration of smartphones is pretty high nowadays in most in, in Asian countries. Um, and of course, the availability of things like 4G is pretty much everywhere now. Uh, even in Myanmar, they're rolling out 4G as I speak. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, just to give you a flavor of, mm -hmm. of that convergence, I guess, of, of the digital or the connectivity uh, with healthcare tools means that the, the patient pathway the technical term, but you know, it's that patient journey uh, in Asia Pacific is increasingly digital. Uh, and that's forcing different behaviors now from incumbents such as big pharma companies as to how they go to market. That's interesting because it's it's probably a little bit different here, as you say, or, and there's no there's no burning platform for, for patients to be increasingly digital or to, to find a, you know, to, The to pain support. point is in a very different place, you're right. Yeah, which yeah. is why in Europe, for example, you're seeing not as fast a growth and, a, and, and, a, and, and therefore, you know, it probably explains some of the investment patterns I was describing earlier on. Hmm. But you're right, if the pain point sits with the, the government, hmm. uh, which it does in Australia, which hmm. it does in the UK, for example, hmm. uh, then you're, you're really reliant on a different uh, organization to facilitate that innovation, more importantly, that adoption of innovation. Yeah. Uh, whereas, of course, uh, you know, in the US, of course, it's more the payor that the private payor insurance company is driving that, and that's very much an efficiency play. Uh, <laughs> this is why Asia-Pac is such a fascinating place because, uh, you know, leaving aside the odd mature market like Japan and Australia that behaves to some extent, uh, you know, like a, like a European market, um, the rest are, are really there driven by, by patients. And so, you know, China, um, you know, is, is a gorilla in the room when it comes to innovation as well as in terms of size and scale. Mm. But some of the reasons for that is because the Chinese government has been very vocal, very clear that technology will play a fundamental role in the delivery of universal health care, uh, in, um, in, in particularly primary care, uh, in, in, in China going forward. And for anyone who's experienced the Chinese healthcare system, uh, you'll know that that is badly, badly required. Hmm. So, so that might touch on my, my next kind of follow-on question from that. If mm -hmm. where is the pain point then in Asia? If uh, you know the, the pain point in Australia and, and Europe is, is more around, or at least the UK is around the government, US payers. Where's where are they? Where where are vendors having kind of challenges when it comes to scaling, rolling out, or, or, or supporting their their um, their solutions? Uh, it's, it's a complex question to answer, largely because, of course, a pain point can be perceived different ways. Mm. Um, 
So, so I think the, the driver of the change in, in, in Asia Pacific, uh, excluding mature markets, is 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 the patient. Um, right. Simply because the patient is paying uh, either the whole bill or, or, or quite quite a lot of the bill themselves, and so they're looking for value for money. Um, but then, in terms of the pain points, as you look at the um, a broader ecosystem. Um, at a macro level, you, you'd come back to what I was saying earlier on, which is, you know, awareness, access and affordability. Mm. And, and that varies from market to market. But, but, you know, awareness is an important one. You know, taking India as an example that I previously mentioned, um, you know, some 10% of the population have diabetes or the prevalence of diabetes is 10%, roughly speaking, in India. But less than about 1% of that population actually presents itself for diagnosis. And largely because of a lack of awareness um, of uh, of the disease, uh, you know, yeah. uh, and, and therefore the you know the necessary steps are not taken. I said largely simply because, of course, there are other contributing factors as well. Um, and then you've got access, which is you know, do you have the healthcare professional or the healthcare facility available to actually um, be able to, to address a patient that has either manifested symptoms or has recognised that they might be. Uh, suffering from a particular disease. Um, again, there you've got some issues that can be resolved with technology. Uh, another example I like to use is the one of Indonesia, where there is a six or seven percent prevalence of uh, hepatitis C. Um, hmm. Now, I think at last count, um, Indonesia has something like no more than 20 hepatologists. Uh, for a population of some 240 million people, um, which is woefully in, 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 inadequate. So of course, the uh, the GIs uh, are, are taking up the, the load, but they're not specialists in hepatology. Um, so again, how does technology uh, help there in terms of, in terms of access to a healthcare professional with the right knowledge? Um, and of course, finally, affordability. Uh, you know, to, to answer your partly answer your point around you know, solution traditional conventional solution providers out there. Um, you know, the, the pharmaceutical companies have recognised that fact and are trying to see how they can. Um, uh, address the market differently and, uh, and be more relevant. And some interesting experiments, for example, in Indonesia between some of the pharmacos and um, you know players like uh, like Gojek, um, which is better known for its motorbike service around Jakarta, but in fact has a, a very large payment platform. Um, because of course, when you've got that many customers using your rider service, your health service, uh, your, your ride hailing service, you've got a natural. Um, a bank of, of customers using your platform to pay uh, and therefore you can start selling them other services um, which is um, you know uh, what we're seeing increasingly happening in, in asia pacific you know uh, ping and good doctor which is a well-known um name now in digital health um largely because of its ipo last year uh is in a joint venture with grab uh, which is another health uh, a right hailing service in southeast asia um now we're to see yet to see how that joint venture will actually address primary care issues, but just to give you a flavor. But, um, you know, medical devices companies, I think, uh, are yet to really get their hand around how, um, you know, their solutions which are traditionally out of reach of, you know, from a cost perspective, from a great large percentage of population, uh, you know, how they leverage digital health to, uh, to help them um, find solutions that are either more affordable but what we are seeing though is some really interesting new insurance models coming through or payment mechanisms coming through uh, to enable you know patients uh, with a challenging day-to-day cash flow um, positions 
uh, to be able to afford their care on a on a um, you know a regular payments basis rather than there's a lump sum up front. Yeah, and it's a long answer to your question, but hopefully one that gives you a flavour of, uh, of of some of the some of the ways in which digital health is addressing uh, pain points in uh, yeah. in, um, in in Asia Pacific. I mean, obviously, there's a great deal more detail behind that, and, uh, and we can look at it from from a perspective of uh, you know, the capabilities of each digital health company. Which is, which is uh, the point being made here is that you know when we look at digital health and how we map the ecosystem, you know we in our data set that we talked about earlier on um, categorize digital health in forty five distinct categories, and by that we mean that each one of the categories is a very distinct capability, uh, and therefore a value proposition to to a consumer, to a patient, or to a healthcare professional, depending on. Of course, it's area of focus. That's some interesting challenges in there. That's um, that's fascinating. Look, mm. onto uh, dare I say politics, and and I try to mm. steer clear of that, but it's, but it's it's a fascinating one because here in Australia, generally, we watch on, you know, with interest when it comes to global politics. But generally, we, we can watch from a pretty safe distance, particularly when it comes mm. to, to healthcare. But being in Asia, you'd probably feel the brunt a lot more when it comes to politically charged issues, particularly like the the the, the recent US China trade war. What what impact, um, if if anything, does does that have on the the health tech industry in particular? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a fascinating question that one, simply because um, we at Gallagher Growth Asia conduct a sentiment survey every six months with both corporations um, and investors. Uh, to get a sense of you know how they're seeing the the ecosystem and 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 how they're looking at some of the um, uh, issues, challenges, and opportunities ahead of them. Mm. Um, and generally speaking, we um, when we ask the question around the U.S.-China trade war uh, and how they perceive the impact, um, we've seen a lot of bravado around the fact that it doesn't seem to be affecting them at all. Um, which seemed to translate up until about um, July, August of this year. And what I mean by that is that when we looked at the investor appetite, um, we seemed to see a continued momentum from the record-breaking 2018, so much so that in Q1 of this year, there was more funding deployed in Asia-Pacific digital health than there was in U.S. digital health, to give you a flavor of, of how things were going. So we thought, okay, well, maybe we're just riding this one through. And then in Q3 of this year, so uh, the June, July, August, September period, yeah. we saw a significant slowdown in total dollars being invested in digital health. And we've looked at other reports, looking at other types of sectors of verticals, such as FinTech, for example, mm. uh, and we're seeing a, a similar slowdown. Um, but I think we're seeing that similar slowdown across the board now, be it the US as well as uh, uh, as Europe, uh, you know, in, in, in current parallel. Uh, and why? And so, by slowdown, I mean that what we are seeing is that um, uh, the number of mega deals, so deals that exceed 100 million US dollars, has dropped right off. Uh, which means that for those people who are familiar with the investment uh, land, uh, sorry, continuum, um, essentially means that gross stage deals, so the Series B, Series C type deals, yeah. which usually ex- hit the 100 million or so, exceeding the 100 million mark. Um, are slowing down, um, and so um, you know we're, we're that, that's one sort of telltale sign. Yeah. Um, and, and we've also seen a drop off in in volume uh, of dollars deployed in seed, uh, pre A and Series A type deals. 
Um, and so, you know, the, the higher risk type profiles um, as well. Um, contributory factors for that would be, um, I guess, twofold. The first one is we're seeing domestic um, uh, slowdown, both in China and India. Uh, in fact, if you look at um, foreign direct investment in both those countries over the past uh, six to nine months, um, you'll see a right an enormous slowdown over, last, you know, over that period, mm. um, which which is I think you know the uncertainty uh, being caused by uh, by some of the local um, uh, domestic um, legal as well as regulatory as well as just general business sentiment. Um, but what we also see as another factor is I think that the investors that we've traditionally seen taking positions in digital health in the region are feeling somewhat insecure, uncertain, is probably a more a fairer statement, as to the exit of their investments. You know, any, any investor stepping into an investee has always got an eye on the exit out of their investment. Yeah. And so if um, you know, if, if, if growth stage deals are slowing down and exits such as M&A or IPOs are slowing down, uh, then of course you will ask the question two or three times, more times I suspect, uh, as to whether you should invest into, uh, into digital health. Mm. So um, there's hopefully a bit of detail to help your audience understand that um, yeah. there, has, there has been a substantial slowdown in investment. Um, now that will have a knock-on effect. Um, mm. Uh, unless it really sort of un what's the word, stalls out, let's say, uh, going forwards. But um, from a perspective of the US-China trade war, as of this morning's news, it sounds like that's not going to get resolved much before early 2020, by the look of things. Um, yeah. So we at Gallon Growth Asia do not see, um, uh, you know, two four this year, um, suddenly change direction uh, for the better. Uh, versus what we saw in Q3, um, and so I think uh, you know 2019 will end up being described as uh, as flat versus uh, versus the previous year. Um, uh, the concern, I guess, is that if you are a, a pre-A or a Series A startup with a promising solution, um, you may need to um, um, rethink your fundraising strategy um, as you go into 2020. Interesting. Does that then knock on to say, because there's a lot of, um, uh, if, if I put, put myself in the boots of a, you know, an emerging Australian uh, health tech organization that's got a very you know, fancy solution that they feel mm -hmm. they've dominated the, you know, Australian market, their local market, and then looking to, to scale um, upwards up the globe into Asia. Um, mm -hmm. What is, is now not a good time to do that or more broadly a way to answer that one would be how would how would one of those vendors even start exploring how to break into asia and what's a good way to do it and what's a bad way to do it <laughs> no all good questions listen i think at the end of the day let's not be overly alarmist yet there is a lot of funding out there that's not been invested i think i saw um you know, a, a recent report on um uh, private equity funding and somewhere the report talked to the fact that some 80% of total funding raised by private equity companies um, in 2018 has yet to be deployed. Huh. Um, mm. To give you a flavor, there's a lot of money looking for deals. There. Now, um, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is if you've got a solid solution 
that has a specific need in the market, therefore customers, then you you will get funding. And I guess you know, talking of Australia, you know, there's a, a, a proof in that in that in that statement of mine. If you look at Health Match, which has just raised six million, um, you know, uh, out of uh, out of Sydney um, with Square Peg as it, one of its main main investors there, um, uh, you know, classic case of business model that has. Uh, created a solution that is uh, resonating with uh, with patients, um, and as a result, is getting traction. Um, and, and I guess armed with both, uh, you know, uh, traction numbers as well as some clinical evidence of what they're doing, they they are um, attracting attention from uh, from investors. So so it's not all doom and gloom. It's just I guess um, going to be harder to raise funding. In relation to your question on on, on reaching Asia Pacific. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, if you're if you're if you're used to the Australian ecosystem and you're looking at Asia Pacific, which you should be, um, then you do need to start from um, one um, premise, which is that whatever you've been doing in Australia may not and is unlikely to work uh, as it is in Australia in an Asia market. Um, and so, our general advice to any startup entrepreneur or founder we talk to about entering Asia Pac is. Your technology probably still has a role to play, but your business model may need to change. Mm. Um, you will certainly need to think about what your partnerships will need be on the ground in order to get the reach you need in that in that market. So, you know, everyone looks at China as a sizable market, which it is, with a lot of investors, which there are. Um, but it's a very, very different market from a regulatory perspective as well as from a key actors as well as you know all the cultural language challenges you meet. So. Um, the smart thing to do is to find a partner you trust uh, in, 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 in China, for example, um, to help you get that beachhead um, and, and be able to, to scale from there. Um, and that includes, of course, doing your homework beforehand. So mm. understanding the landscape, the, the competition, etc. Um, we at Get and Growth Asia produce reports. Um, they're free to download from our website. Uh, which will give you a very good overview of what's happening in Asia Pacific um, digital health. And we drill down into China, into India, and into Southeast Asia as, uh, as sort of um, the more detailed view uh, of, 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 of specific ecosystems, let's say. Um, but we do spend a lot of time with, uh, with investors and with corporations to help them um, navigate um, each of these ecosystems and, and be able to identify the ventures that they should be either investing in or partnering with, depending on whether you're an investor or a corporate, um, so as to, you know, I guess, accelerate business, the business impact of that digital health strategy that those two are embarking on. Um, uh, so so you, I guess just gives you a flavor of, of the different yeah. ways you can look at it, but I mean, it's there's some golden rules uh, mm. uh, so to avoid burning cash and getting nowhere. <laughs> it sounds like some some great tools on the on the website there. I'll put some uh, some links in the show notes for for listeners to mm. be able to check out those um those free downloads. Um, they should. Uh, <laughs> the Gallon Growth Asia. So that like, another way to to support um you know members or, or, or interested parties is is of course. Uh, events and it looks like you guys organise mm. some events um, as well. Tell us a bit more about those and, and and what takes place at them. Yeah, so events. Let's call it an, an event. Um, so 
we um, are in our fourth year that uh, we run or host uh, the only dedicated Royal Summit in, uh, in Asia Pacific. Hmm. Um, and it happens every November in Singapore. Um, November is deliberate because it really is an opportunity for investors and corporations to take stock of 12 months that just occurred and start putting in place the building blocks for, for the following year. Um, it is um, a, an event that is split over over three days. Um, on, on the first day, which for this year for us is the 13th of November, uh, is um, what we call an innovation lab. It's really is drilling into a specific innovation ecosystem and showcasing it. So um, this year we're in partnership with the Singapore Economic Development Board to showcase uh, the um, uh, digital health innovation uh, that's going on in, in Singapore. Uh, and that's largely aligned to the fact that Singapore government has made it very clear that digital health uh, is a core pillar of growth for, for, um, uh, for the nation going forwards. Um, the second day, which is the 14th of November, is what we always call Investor Day. Uh, and that is, uh, as it says on the box, I guess, uh, a, a day where uh, investors um, uh, are attracted to uh, engage with the uh, 50 uh, most promising startups in, in the region. And I'll come back to that. Mm -hmm. And the third day, which is Friday the 15th, is what we call Enterprise Day, which is a similar format. But in this particular case, we have possible groups and corporations, et cetera, in the room. Um, we we run this every year. We run it in a very specific format every year. Um, and what I mean by that is that we start by using our data and analytics um, to identify the 50 most promising startups across the region. And we invite their CEOs to Singapore for the summit, free of charge. Um, and so they become our VIP guests um, and they become core to the entire event. So. Uh, on, on Investor Day, of course, all the investors are there to actually meet these 50. Uh, and the same thing happens on, on, on Enterprise Day where all the corporation innovation teams, and by that I mean pharmaceutical, medical device, consumer, mm. insurance, uh, tech, some banking as well now, mm. uh, come into the room to actually uh, network and match make with, uh, with, with these startups. So, so it's a really, it's a mega matchmaking uh, effort over over three days, uh, or what we call 50 hours of non-stop dedicated um, digital health. Hmm. Um, and it's done um, in a particular way. Um, we don't pay to play, so we don't sell any of our speaking slots to anyone. All of our speakers are by invitation only, and it's very much focused on topics that we know are relevant to the stakeholders in the room um, as they think about the, the, the next 12 months of, of their journey. Um, we operate Chatham House rules so as to ensure we have frank and open debate throughout the whole of the event. Um, and, uh, and of course, um, we do end up with that robust debate. Um, so it's, um, it's, it's, it's something that we do every year. It's, a, it's our only event, in fact, but it's one that has over the years grown in stature and um, in breadth and depth. Uh, um, but it's, it's kept deliberately fairly intimate. So. We have this year, I believe, 320 participants. Okay. Um, so if you take the, six, the 50, sorry, uh, startup CEOs from that number, uh, you're left with 270 either innovation leads for corporations or, uh, or investors. So it's a very rich room of investors and decision makers. 
a lot of interesting discussion to happen at those and uh, yeah. the knowledge there would be amazing. Yeah. So that's, yeah, yeah. The, the thing uh, is that, that adds value, adds color to it is that we also run in parallel with that process I described to you, what we call the most innovative um, Asia health tech startup. Uh, it's, a, it's a tournament that runs uh, from August through to November. So on the 15th of, uh, of November, we'll be announcing the winner. Um, and it's a process that starts with our own analytics at the beginning, in terms of we select 64 that start that competition, and then the ecosystem decides on, on who, uh, who will win. Um, our 2017 winner was uh, a startup called BioFormi. Uh, which for those who are keeping an eye on, on the ecosystem will know is a, a Singapore uh, patient monitoring um, clinical trial type platform that is going from strength to strength, including FDA approval fairly recently. Uh, and last year, our winner was Halodoc, which uh, is an Indonesian um, startup that has recently, I uh, think, yes, I think you probably describe them as having raised the biggest fundraise for a Southeast Asian digital health startup um, I think almost about 100 million this year alone um, <laughs> to give you a flavor. And that's a Series B, by the way. Um, <laughs> Good on us. So yeah, abs absolutely. So this year it's, uh, it's topical because uh, you know, we have um, an Australian startup or health match that is in the grand final fighting its way to the final uh, against a regional player called Hello Health. Get out. Um, Did you know that health yeah. match work within the same building that I'm recording this right now? Oh, okay. Well, there you, you go. go down I'll have to pop down and say hi. <laughs> you should. I didn't. So, know, I should have known uh, the, that. But anyway, sorry. Yeah, the the founder will be uh, will be in Singapore next week to um, Get to out. showcase Health Match uh, to all these investors and uh, all these corporations. Although having just picked up six million, she probably isn't quite as hungry as the others in the room. <laughs> but um, she is. Uh, she's. I think she's hoping to also potentially win the uh, the tournament. But. Uh, I will have to keep uh, quiet about how that's going mm. because the grand final is still fighting its way. <laughs> Very cool. That's that's awesome. Mm. Look, um, yeah, th think, thinking more than I, I guess to, to to wind out the conversation and thinking more about the longer mm. term challenges and goals of um, uh, health tech, like thinking globally that you, you see them in Asia Pacific, a lot of countries. What what are some of the longer term challenges that 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 we're facing in this space? Um, I, you know, it's the, some of them are very similar to what I've described already. I mean, I think, you know, the fact that we've got this promise of, of digital democratizing healthcare doesn't mean that uh, the pain points that we discussed earlier on are going to go away overnight. So those will remain. Um, but add to that, I think, you know, we're seeing too little action from governments around um, enabling let's say greater adoption of technology either through regulations or through the right reimbursement codes in the case of you know, markets like australia or, or japan mm. um and so that's slowing things down a bit um and you know we shouldn't underestimate the um, the level of let's say slow adoption to be polite by the healthcare professional community mm. um who um you know um uh, aren't really in my view always um thinking of the patient first in relation to uh, how to leverage technology to make, um, uh, you know, the, the patient's burden um, a better one. Uh, of course, it will vary from patient to patient and it will vary from physician to physician too. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm just, I, I guess, sharing with you, you know, some of the pain points that, um, 
that a, a typical entrepreneur, digital health startup entrepreneur is, is, is facing when it comes to bringing their solution to, to life and to the betterment of, uh, mm. of a patient's life. Really. What about a long-term focus? Is there much of a attention on, like, say, the, the United Nations uh, Sustainable Development Goals or, or any of those kind of big-picture ambitions <laughs> that, that are faced around Asia-Pacific? Yes, is the answer. Although, of course, we have to take uh, some of the discussions, some of the observations we see and hear with a certain amount of, uh, uh, of not is the wrong word, but certainly some, some reality. Um, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's actually a topic of key focus for us on, uh, on the 14th of November. We've got the uh, Gates Foundation hmm. um, head uh, coming in to talk to us around the fact that uh, you know, investing through the lens of sustainability uh, does yield ROI. You know, it's, it's not um, it's not an either or. Um, you know, and they were one of the investors in, in Halodoc, the previously mentioned Indonesian startup we talked about there. Um, so yes, there's DG three, um, which is the uh, you know the, the healthcare one within the 17 others, um, is certainly uh, should be a key focus area. Um, I would ask. Or I would challenge, let's say, large corporations and investors to be genuine to those sustainable development goals rather than leverage them as PR. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I hope that um, both investors as well as corporations continue to see and increasingly um, connect with the notion that digital health is one of the few verticals um, that has, you know, substantial financial upside as well as societal upside. There's, um, it's wise words, wise words. And look, is there any, uh, uh, where, where should, so to close things out, where should someone mm. go to, to learn a bit more about what's happening, uh, with, with Gallant Growth Asia and also with the, the, the health tech scene in Asia Pacific? Um, well, yes, you could achieve both, in fact, by visiting us at www.galen, G A L E N, the Greek father of medicine, growth.asia. Um, and there you'll find all our research, uh, including those three reports I referred to. Mm-hmm. Um, we publish those every six months uh, as a full report. And I'm talking about 60 pages uh, of data. Wow. Um, on, on the ecosystem. And then, so we, as, uh, we do that in July and January, and then um, every September and every April, we do an interim report that's found in among our blogs on our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you subscribe, um, you will automatically receive notification uh, of these reports being published, as well as other research that we do. Um, not to mention, of course, um, you know, uh, getting some news um, on... Um, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the summit, for example, for 2020. Sure. So that's your best uh, place to go in terms of um, getting plugged in and staying current with Asia Pacific Digital Health. Fascinating. Look, um, Julian, thanks so much for, for providing us a glimpse of the, I'll say the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more to learn about Asia Pacific. <laughs> well, and it's of course. A, a, a lot happening. We skimmed it. <laughs> we, we skimmed over <laughs> it and there's um, a lot to cover, but that's that's been a great insight. Look, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time. Absolute pleasure, and I hope that uh, your audience uh, have enjoyed some of the insights to be able to discuss in this, uh, this uh, short amount of time and, uh, and do uh, pay us a visit uh, to get uh, further insights. Love it. Will do. Thanks, mate.
Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Go do some stuff on our socials and website, share it with some people, and give us a nice review and a five-star rating because it all helps to spread the word and get people talking. Until next time, I'm out of here.